returned to the body of Jesus that was in the tomb, and the two were rejoined, and the body was raised back to life. The very same thing will happen to us if we believe. Listen to this as I read 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 20. Yes, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Bodily. Literally. Physically. That's not all. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. First fruits is an agricultural metaphor. It's also a feast that, that Israel would, would celebrate. The first fruits is you have a harvest. We're coming up to fall time. You, you take one sheaf of wheat and you take it and you, you celebrate that first sheaf as the first fruits. It, it becomes symbolic of the rest of the harvest. It, it's an anticipatory harvest. So you can have this great feast with the first fruits, knowing that you have a whole field left to harvest. And you celebrate the blessing of God, that, that what he did with these first fruits, he's going to do in greater abundance for the whole harvest. And so here, when, when Paul says that Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, he means that he is the first of a great harvest, the first of many to be raised bodily from the dead. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so remember we spoke about that, we all die because we all sin. So also in Christ shall all be made alive. This is all who have faith in Christ. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, he was first. Then at his coming, that is at the end of the age, those who belong to Christ. You may not realize this, when you go to the graveside, someone that you love, and you, you watch as they're, they're buried in the ground, that's a hard moment. It seems so final. The last goodbye. What we learn here, though, is just as Jesus' body came back to life and came out of the tomb, so also when we go into the ground, we also will rise from that very same spot. If we keep reading in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, Paul likens this to planting a seed in the ground. You plant a seed in the ground, and then from that seed comes a great, let's say it's an acorn, comes a mighty oak tree. You put something in the ground so that something will come out of the ground. So, so the next time, or maybe this is just a recent memory for you, you can sort of think about this, that when you go to visit a loved one at the graveside, or when you go to pick your own burial plot, think of it as a seeding ground. A seeding ground. That when we put bodies in the ground, we're putting a seed in the ground, waiting for resurrection from the dead. Oh, it's glorious. It's not final. It's just the beginning. Who says when you plant a seed in the ground that that's the end? No, that's just the beginning. The beginning of a great harvest. Well, what will this resurrection be like? So is it just as simple as we go into the ground frail, weak, prone to grow weary, prone to grow sick, is that, is that what comes out of the ground? I mean, I was kind of hoping to trade in this body for a better model. <laughs> um, so what is the resurrection like? Is it just getting back what we put in the ground? 
Yes and no. Yes and no. Let's take a look at this. Go back to Luke 24 in verse 36. Jesus has appeared to two of his followers on the road to Emmaus, and he's talking with them. They don't know who he is. I don't know. They just, I mean, you could imagine. You don't expect to see Jesus, right? And um, last time you saw him, he was ripped up and bloody and dead on the cross. So you don't expect to meet him on the road. But, but perhaps there's also an additional blindness that God put over their eyes so that they wouldn't recognize him. Or maybe just the nature of his resurrected glory changed his appearance slightly. Uh, whatever it was, they didn't quite know who he was. But then at the very end, he broke bread and he, and he showed them who he was. And then he vanished. And so these two followers run to the 11 disciples. Judas has already committed suicide by this point. And uh, they te- they're telling them all of this, this. Jesus appeared to us. And what the women said is true. We can, act, we can believe them because what they said is true. We've seen Jesus with our own eyes. Uh, that's where we pick up in verse 36. Luke 24, verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus Himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. And they were startled and frightened and thought that they saw a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. Spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it before them. I want to show you three things about what our resurrection will be like. Because remember, we follow on the exact same pattern as Jesus himself. The first thing is this, that Jesus' resurrection was physical. It was bodily. We've already addressed this, but let me reinforce it. Because for whatever reason, this is, this is often denied or ignored or not believed in, even among Christians. The resurrection of Jesus and our own resurrection from the dead is physical. The same bodies that die come back to life. Look at the second half of verse 39. Jesus wants them to see that He's physical. They think that they see a ghost. But Jesus says, no, I am not a ghost. Touch me. Touch me. You can't touch a ghost. Touch me and see. A spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. They still didn't believe. They're they're touching Him, but they wonder, well, it maybe is a hallucination of our sight, our hearing, and our sense of touch. Maybe we still... This is a hallucination. I can't trust my senses. So Jesus goes on in verse 41. He says, well, do you have anything here to eat? Because it's very difficult to make a a fish disappear even if you're hallucinating. Uh, So they gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and he ate it before them. Jesus' resurrection was physical. He could be touched. He had flesh. He had bones. He could eat. Our resurrection will be physical. Which means that the same bodies that go into the ground will come out of the ground. Now you might say to me, well, what if, what if my body is, is lost to the elements? What if I'm in Algonquin Park and a bear comes and totally consumes me? 
What, then I won't be raised back to life? No, you think that, that that's going to beat God? No. What if I'm cremated? Can God raise me back to life? Absolutely. Uh, there's not a single person that has died that is lost to God. God will raise every single person physically from the dead and He will begin with, ever, with whatever remains there are to begin with. That's the promise. And, and if, if we don't know where the remains are or if they're lost to the elements, well, um, God will figure it out. That's just who God is. But I do think that it, when we're thinking about uh, symbolically, what an image to deposit our bodies in the ground in the confidence that they will be raised from the ground. So it's not that, that you know, we have to do something in order to be resurrected, but there's a certain amount of symbolism that we can choose to participate in even in our death and burial. Secondly, and this, we've touched this already, I just want to again reinforce this, Jesus' resurrected body was the same body that had been crucified and buried. In, in verse 39, he says, look, see my hands and my feet that it is I myself. And then later he says, uh, it says that he showed them his hands and his feet. There's a great painting by Caravaggio. I don't know if you know Caravaggio, but it's, it's Jesus and he's got his side where he was uh, speared by the soldiers, and his disciples with amazement are touching him right there. And his, their eyes are wide open, and there's, there's like a light coming off of Jesus. If you ever look at that painting, it's amazing. And they're, they're, they're beholding the glory of the resurrection of Jesus. But the point of investigating the, the wound in his side where he was speared while he was dead on the cross and his hands and his feet, why does Jesus say, look at my hands and my feet? Why not look at my beard and my haircut? It's me. It's because those wounds prove that the very same body that was crucified was the body that stood before them and was speaking to them. This was Jesus Christ. You know what I love about this? I, as a kid, and, and, and even now, but especially as a kid, I've come to terms with it a little bit, I was so frustrated with God that I did not have an opportunity to see Jesus in the flesh. I was like, oh, if I could have just been there. Like I was born in the wrong millennium. Uh, I, w- I wanted to see Jesus in the flesh so bad. I-, I came to realize I will. I will see Jesus in the very same body that walked on the water. I will see Jesus in the, bo- the very same body that fed the 5,000. I will see Jesus in the very same body that did all the things that we read about. And I will see where they nailed the stakes through His hands and through His feet. A constant reminder of what we did to Christ. That's, That's wonderful. And since we follow in the same pattern as Jesus, we will have the same bodies. But they won't be the same. They will be the same, but they will be transformed. There will be glory added to them. And, and the body that comes out of the ground, if you compare 1 Corinthians 15, says you put a seed in the ground and then what comes up but this mighty tree. So we, we bury our, our bodies. They're perishable. They're weak. They're mortal. And our bodies are raised imperishable, immortal, strong, Filled with the glory of God. 
And, and so there's continuity. There's something the same, but there's also something very brand new. And, and, and we're told that we will part, be partakers of the divine nature and, and the glory of God who ex- has existed forever and ever, who resides at the very center of all reality, will be pouring His glory in and through us so that we, according to Daniel, will shine like stars. And, and Jesus, uh, who is God, shows us this pattern. And even here, the brilliance of His glory is veiled. If you read about Jesus' resurrected self uh, in Acts chapter 9, it, it, his, his, just Himself, he, he blinded Paul because the light that came from Jesus' resurrected glory was so bright that Jesus went, I mean, Paul went blind. So here, there's still this covering over Jesus. Then you read about, about the resurrected Jesus in the book of Revelation. And, I mean, this is a Jesus that is frightening, but it's just because John is trying to describe for us the resurrected glory of the Son of God. Now, here's the thing. 1 John 3, 1-3. When He comes, we will see Him as He is, for we will be like Him. Jesus' resurrected body and our resurrected bodies will be given additional glory. We see this in verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus Himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. Uh, It sounds as though He just came through the wall or He just appeared. Uh, If you go back to verses uh, 30 and 31, we're told that as He was at the table with his, these two followers, He took the bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened. They recognized Him and He just vanished. So we read these and we think, oh, He's a ghost. You know, like going through walls, appearing and disappearing. No, no, no. The glory of our resurrection is so great that, that this current reality that we're living in now is like a mist that we can just walk through. You see, the glory that we're going to inhabit, and and we don't have time to get into this, but God is going to recreate this universe in greater glory also. Because this reality, like feels like a hard podium, but if I was here in resurrected glory, my hand would just go through, not because I'm a ghost, but because this podium would be like a mist or a fog. Our resurrected bodies will be given additional glory just as the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have much to look forward to. In uh, Ephesians chapter 2, I know I'm sorry that we're sort of jumping around in all these different places. It's, it's not ideal, but it's just because God has planted these nuggets about our, our future hope all over the Bible, and I, I just can't help but share some of them with you. In, in Ephesians chapter 2, we're told that, that there are many ages to come. Go back and find that sometime. We're not going to go there now. But it talks about many ages. So, so just to put that in perspective, from the creation of the universe until now, we are still within one age. When Jesus returns, and the, then there's going to be a final judgment, that will be the end of this age. Okay. Now, Ephesians 
chapter 2 says there's going to be many ages and we're going to be with Christ in every single one of those ages and we're going to reign with him and we're going to enjoy our resurrected glory in every age. So we have no idea what the creative God of the universe is going to do in all of these ages to come. But we have an infinite number of ages ahead of us and if you put your faith in Christ, though you die and put your body in the ground, you'll be resurrected in glory just as Jesus was resurrected in glory and then you'll live and you'll reign with Christ in every age to come. And whatever God does, whatever glorious new creations He thinks of and and does, will be there and will participate in it with Him. And not just as, as some lowly, feeble, sick, dying sinner like we are now in this age, but as those who are elevated with Christ over whatever it is that God is doing. It's It's astonishing. So death, it seems so final, doesn't it? Is 86 years enough? No. But if God blesses you to your 87th year, just know that that is but a drop in a bucket of infinite reality that God has promised to give to you and to me if we but believe Now, just think this through. Which life are you going to live for? The one that is enwrapped with this sin-death environment all around us, is that the life that we're going to cling to? Is that the life that we're not going to want to get rid of? Or in confident faith in the God of the universe to, to whom nothing is impossible, will we say, I look forward in some way to putting my body in the ground so that I can go and depart and to be with Christ while I wait in heaven for my resurrection from the dead in glory at the beginning of infinite ages where I will live and reign with Christ. I mean, First Corinthians 15, just listen. In light of all of this, this perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body, this growing old, growing weak, sick, dying body, must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up In victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
The victory is ours if we but believe in Jesus Christ. And it, in our natural selves, we will never believe the things that I have spoken today. But this is the Word of God. God created the universe. He is more than able to do what we have said He will do. And He has proved it by raising Jesus from the dead as the first fruits of what He promises to do for all who believe. I want to end by going back to the two thieves. Humanity is divided just as these two thieves are divided. Some, even on their dying day, will look to Jesus and curse Him. And then they'll die. And they will not have any of the things that have been promised to those who believe. But then there are others who are like the thief who believed. And to them, Jesus says, truly I say to you today, you will be with Me in paradise. And then everything else that we have spoken of today will come to pass. This week our church has come face to face with death and it looks like death has won a great victory. Death, death's shadow hangs over Ed. But Ed and Marge and your family and all of you know this. There is no victory for death because Ed has put his confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. So at the time known only to God, there will be a separation between body and soul. And then Ed and all of us one day will go to be with the Lord as we wait our glorious resurrection from the dead and life everlasting. Let us rally around the Cruliacs so that they may approach the end of this first phase of life. That's important. They may approach the end of this first phase of life, which happens to be the worst of all the phases, by the way, with confidence and with anticipation. For death is not the end. It's a transition to a new and better way of living. And so we need to be there to remind Ed of this. He's going to forget, as we all will, when the panic of death ensnares us. We need to be around him to, to love him and Marge and their family and one another and the, and the families that are grieving the loss of loved ones, the Ramers and the Bartleys. Death is but a transition. We have much to look forward to. Let's confront death together for the Lord Jesus is on our side and he counts death to be his enemy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that you, you have shown us victory over death and that that which happened to Jesus will be uh, ours if we but believe. We thank You that, like Paul, we can begin to say that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Thank You that this phase of our life is the worst. That this is not our best life. 
but on the day of our die, we transition to a better way of living. And then on the resurrection of our bodies from the dead and the rejoining of our soul with our bodies, that that's an even better phase of living. And then we will reign with you forever and ever in every age to come. Help us to comfort one another with these words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.